Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider. This is irishillustrated.com's podcast. It's Monday, April 29th, and I'm Tim Priester with Pete Sampson. Our main focus today is the NFL draft, three round or uh, three days, seven rounds, Thursday, Friday, Saturday of last week in Nashville. Uh, Pete, you had you had Jerry Tillery in the first round. Uh, I had him just inside the second round. I know you spent time with him leading up to the draft. Um, just your thoughts on on him going to the Chargers with the twenty eighth overall pick. I mean, I, whether you're pick thirty five or pick twenty eight, you know, it's not that much of a difference, or other than the couple hundred thousands of dollars that you're going to make more. So I guess that's significant. But you know, I just, I mean, how many podcasts have I have we had? And I've said like, there's the the reason Tillery can be a first round pick is like he's just he's. A unique physical specimen. No doubt. Um, you know, put the Japan, South Africa, USC 2016 aside, there just are not a lot of six foot five guys who are a skinny 300, 310 pounds who can bend and move like that. And somebody was gonna, somebody was gonna take a chance on them. I thought maybe the the most interesting thing is what I sort of stumbled upon a day after was that not only did Tillery get um, an endorsement from Brian Kelly and Mike Elston, which, uh, let's be honest, is it's to their interest to... It, it's to Mike Elston's interest to have a first-round pick on his resume. But Brian Polian also endorsed him to Tom Telesco. They go back to Buffalo together. Uh, Bill Polian gave uh, char- the Chargers GM Telesco his first job in the NFL. Um, so I think the Chargers knew exactly what they were getting. This wasn't one of... like. I think Julian Love to the Giants, we can talk about that. That was, you know, based on Matt Fortuna's reporting, spending the day with Love, or the days with Love. The Giants didn't work him out, you know, didn't formally interview him. Um, Whereas the Chargers knew everything about Mm -hmm. Jerry Tillery and decided, okay, with eyes wide open, we're going to make this pick. Whatever questions there were about Jerry Tillery, and that's what we do in our business, you bring up all the positives, you bring up the potential negatives, but whatever questions there were about Jerry Tillery, he outplayed them. He outmeasured them, you know, being 6'6", 300 pounds or 295, and he outplayed them as a senior. Now, throw in the fact that he was hurt for the last eight games of the year, played through it, went to the combine, hurt, did the bench press, you know, reps with a torn labrum. Um, You know, and you you mentioned it at that point, it's payday. It's time time to earn your money, and so you understand that. But when you start adding it all up, he was too good of a prospect to pass up. And, <clears throat> I mean, I'm happy for the guy because the first two years he did not look like a, a first-round draft pick despite the measurables, and he made himself a much better player. Now let's think about the people that contributed to this. Brian Kelly, Mike Elston, Matt Bayless, um, Larry Black. You know, I mean, there, there are a lot of people that helped make Jerry Tillery what he was, but no one more than Jerry Tillery himself. So, he deserved to be a first-round pick. He snuck right in there under the line. I had him as the second pick of the second draft, um, so I missed on that. I came really close on Miles Boykin. I had him as the 96th overall pick, and he went 93rd. Uh, but let's talk about Julian Love because he did slide, uh, but I think it's a little blown out of proportion how far he did slide, the sixth overall, or I should say the sixth pick of the fourth round. And... and 
I mean, there, there was the potential for a second-round pick, but I don't think any of us necessarily expected that. Third round, I think, was I – mean, I don't remember quite what you said, but well, I had him in the third round. I remember on the last podcast I said to you in, in O'Malley, like, the over-under for Notre Dame guys drafted on day two, you know, 1.5. I would have taken the under on that. Right. Um, I think you guys would have taken the over. Um, that sort of guaranteed that Tillery would be out around one pick, so, so he's did, not on day were two. Were you thinking – were you thinking Boykin was going to go ahead of Love? I'm not sure who I thought was going to go where. Um, you know, and the, the again, the difference between Boykin and Love is not not all that significant, right? I mean, that's no, um, it's not. You know, it's not. I mean, I, I'll just, we get caught up in the whole rounds thing. You know, it's right. like if you it, okay, oh, he didn't get picked in the third, so now it's a disappointment, and it was, I'm sure. Uh, but still, he it's not like he slid. I mean, here's I don't know what I'm, the, the difference. This is the the difference. Their signing bonuses are about twenty five thousand dollars apart because okay. that's the guaranteed money that you actually make. Right. Um, you know, the contracts are about one hundred fifty thousand dollars apart over four years. So is that nothing? No, I would love to, to have a one hundred fifty thousand dollar raise over the next four years. However, uh, I just. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I, I think that the slide for love is Notre Dame fans expected him to go in the second round, not the fourth. And, yeah, that, just, that, and that is a big difference. I thought, I thought that that was a little unrealistic. I, I, don't, I don't know how you felt about, again, I don't remember exactly what we all said, but I, coming out of the pro day, and I know he ran a 4-4-5, and I know this is about as unscientific as it gets, but it didn't look like a 4-4-5 to me. It just didn't. I, yeah. and, and secondly, I thought he was – I thought he was – not only was he not at at peak efficiency in his positional drills, his position drills, but I thought he was I thought he was pretty bad actually. I thought he was he didn't show instincts. He didn't he didn't, he wasn't reacting to anything. I, a couple of the NFL guys kind of responded like, "Come on, man, get it together." So you know, coming and, th- and then I was surprised to hear we didn't know what the times were in a forty at that point. I was surprised to hear four four five, but I didn't think it was a great day for him. So. I I never expected him going to second round. I thought third round, but again, he went six picks into the fourth round. I mean, let's just, let me just rattle off some fourth round picks, uh, and it, it just as a compliment to the quality okay. of guys who are available. Right, uh, Bryce Love, Christian Miller from Alabama, Austin Bryant from Clemson. Uh, who else? We got Benny Snell from Kentucky, Biggie Marshall from USC, Riley Ridley from Georgia. Drew Tranquil was involved there. Uh, Jarrett Stidham from Auburn. Um, you know, Michael Jordan was a really good interior offensive lineman at Ohio State. Sharif Miller, defensive end at Penn State. I mean, there's there's a lot of really good. And he players. was ahead of all of those. Guys. Yeah, and he was ahead of <laughs> all of those guys. Um, so it's to me, it's not it's not a huge shock that what I think every year we we sort of like overrate a couple of Notre Dame players, right? I mean, we've just seen them, and then we forget that, right. oh, there's a Max Crosby a defensive end from Eastern right. Michigan I was is try- actually really good. And I was trying not to. I think all three of us were yeah. trying not to do that. I think we all said six picks. It was six picks. I think we expected Coney, obviously, and we'll talk about him in a little bit. But, um, yeah, I, there's always a tendency to, to overrank or overrate, and I was trying to avoid that. And I, to some res- in some respects, I still overrated them. At least yeah. as far as my my preview now, Miles Boykin goes to the ninety third pick to the Baltimore Ravens. Um, you know, obviously tested great was was great at the combine. You know the, the other thing I don't think that is said often enough is 
he swallows the football. I mean, did he have no drops in 2018? That's not accurate, but he was pretty darn close. I mean, he pretty much caught everything that that hit his hands. Was he able to gain consistent separation? No, which is why this you know everybody starts scurrying back to the film after he has a great combine. But he he knew what he was doing. I mean, there were I think there were some people around Notre Dame that were questioning whether he was making the right decision. Obviously, he made the a right few, decision. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, I'm fascinated to see where Miles Boykin's career goes because he's going to play with a less accurate quarterback in the NFL than he yeah. played with in college. And in the NFL, all the corners look like Trayvon Mullen from Clemson, who he couldn't get away from at all. Um, you know, does he catch the back shoulder fade really well? Absolutely. And I think he actually caught one on Mullen. Mullen was pissed at himself in the game. <laughs> I don't know how Lamar Jackson throws that pass. Um, certainly not as well as Ian Book. I think that's one of Ian Book's best yeah. throws, and I think it's one of Miles Boykin's best routes. Yeah. So, you know, if you take that away, where do, what do you have from Boykin? I, I just I can't get away from the fact that a guy ran. I don't know what his combine time was. A four 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 two. He doesn't play four four two at all. I think he plays like a four six. Um, and in the NFL. People run four fours at corner, and they play four three. Um, so, I'm, I'm just really interested to see sort of where his career goes, how he's utilized in Baltimore. I mean, I believe they took a a uh, receiver in the first round too, and um, you know, Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown from Oklahoma, who actually is like a four three and plays like yeah. he's basically Will Fuller ish. Um, that's like how does he fit in? I, I'm just really curious to see. I think the other thing with Boykin is, I think the the Ravens looked at him and said, you know, he's just scratching the surface. I mean, he was just a first-year starter for Nordame last year. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think he had that going in his favor. In in terms of the 4-4-2, does he play to a 4-4-2? No, but his, his get-off at the line of scrimmage was so much better in 2018 than it was 2017. So he is on the rise as a prospect, and that's what the Ravens felt yeah. as well. Tranquil I had earlier in the fourth round, but I did have him in the fourth round. Uh, he he came later in the fourth round, I guess I should say. You thought he might slide a little bit further than that. And as the draft was going on, I'm thinking, you know, he's 6'2", 234, but he's a small 6'2", 234 from the standpoint that he was a safety. Not all 6'2", 234s are the same, and he's got a smaller frame. And when I started looking at the the linebackers that were still available, I'm like, I think Pete's going to be right here. I think he's probably <laughs> going to slide. But again, like always, it just takes one team. I was surprised on this one for sure. I, I yeah. thought he was he would be like more into the fives. Um, he, he was just so he, he just did so well his last two seasons and postseason. One last bit on on love. Um, Giants also drafted DeAndre Baker, who was also a Thorpe finalist. Yeah. I'm curious to see how that shakes out because Baker, I think, has more measurables than Love does. Um, they both produced really well in college, but it, it would just be uh, an interesting <laughs> side-by-side comparison. On Tranquil, I think he's sort of the opposite of Boykin. Like, how much better is Drew Tranquil going to get? You know, obviously he's going to work hard. He's going to stay where yeah, he is. I agree but, with like, your assessment. Is there a massive amount of upside? Probably not. But again, they got, they got the full story on him. Um, you know, when your GM is Friends with Notre Dame special teams coach, like you're going to get the full insight on, on what Drew Tranquil is all about. Um, so I think they they make that pick with eyes wide open. It's, I be, if I'm not mistaken, I think James Onowell actually started games uh, for the Chargers. Well, maybe last year or the year before that. I mean, it's not like they're loaded at linebacker, right? Um, so he'll 
I think Drew Tranquil is going to be in the pros for a long time. I don't know how much linebacker he's going to play um, you know, over the course of a, maybe a 10-year career or an 8-year career. But um, you know, in terms of special teams, value to the team, uh, no, yeah. a no-maintenance man guy in your 53 i think he's he's good that way yeah i do i do think that the small frame i mean it's that with the two acls and they tested out great and that's a, that's a testament to him it's a testament to dr brian radigan uh but it but it it's still a guy that that has some wear on that body and we'll see how long he can last in the nfl um we can go through each one of these guys but i mean we have, obviously we have questions in the second segment about these guys. Dexter Williams went about where we expected him to go. Uh, I had him late fifth. He went in the sixth. I didn't expect Alex Bars to uh, be drafted, but I hedged my bet and said seventh round Chicago Bears. So I was kind of half right You're there. Pretty much right on that one. <laughs> uh, Elsey Mack. You know, as I looked closer at it, there just weren't that many tight ends to go around, and so you know him going in the seventh round of the Saints. I also hedged my bet there, too, and said the Lions. I don't know exactly where they picked in relation to the Saints, but, um, you know, I wasn't surprised there. But we're both surprised at Tavon Coney um, <laughs> coming back uh, for his senior year and, and not getting drafted. And yet, 4.72, uh, both of his 40-yard runs looked really stiff and a little out of place in the positional drills, especially when you put him alongside Tranquil, who's impeccable. In his work, and he just slid. Now, you know, he's with the Raiders. I think he's got Raiders written all over him. Um, and he's a productive football player, and I think he's got a chance to hang in the NFL for a while. But keep in mind, he's he's not a three-down, he's not a three-down linebacker. He nope. made progress in that area in his final year at Notre Dame, but he's not a three-down linebacker. I would challenge anyone who was at the Citrus Bowl to revisit how you felt after watching that game and say that Tavon Coney was the second-best linebacker in that game. Because <laughs> um, apparently that's how the NFL felt a year later. Drew White, who got thrown around in the end zone by Quentin Nelson in that game, he goes fifth overall. Um, I also I cannot think of a time uh, off the, that a player had a, a essentially a public decision, do I stay or do I go after the junior returns and then goes undrafted. Um, and I, you know, I get the, the two down. I also get the 120 tackles, mm-hmm. 100 tackles, killing it against LSU a year earlier. Um, you know, for for him to go undrafted, I find totally bizarre. I mean, I, I think in last week's podcast, the we had a we had a discussion about who was going to go first, Tranquil or Coney. Um, and to say, I, I think you were with Tranquil. I think O'Malley. And I I was like a little like I'm not really sure. I think O'Malley um, was with Tranquil. Okay, but like. No, none of us were like tranquil for Coney undrafted. I mean, that's like I picked Alabama to win the national championship game in 2012 by 10 points. Like I was wrong with my pick, even right. though I got the winner. Um, so I don't, I don't really have an explanation for this one. Um, you know, it's I think with with Love, you can see okay, he had he played like a second round pick, but had fourth round measurables. Coney, I felt like, you know, even his measurables were, were off on the pro day. He's, he was still at the combine. They thought enough of him to invite him right. there. Uh, for him to go undrafted entirely, I think, is is just bizarre. Um, at the same time, then you take him take a step back and be like, okay, Matthias Farley was undrafted. Romeo Quar was undrafted. Ian Williams was undrafted. Um, 
I think he sort of fits in that group. Where hard to imagine Romeo Carr being undrafted. Yeah, now, considering his success in the, the NFL, and the the Raiders did not take an inside linebacker in the draft, so maybe he fills a spot yeah. there. Um, I don't. I am not an expert on the uh, Raiders depth chart at inside linebacker. But. No, nor am I. He, but you know what? I mean, Tavon Coney is. He's wired to be an NFL player, right? I mm-hmm. mean, that's what he wants to be. He's wired to be that. I feel very good about his chances as a free agent, as as good as you can feel about a, a sure. free agent having a chance. Uh, Alex Barr, Sam Mustafer to the Bears. Tyler Newsom, another Chargers uh, pick, I guess, free agent pick. Nick Coleman, you know, when we were watching him on – who did he, he sign with, free agent? Uh, the Raiders. The Raiders, okay, right. Um when we were watching him on Pro Day, I don't know if you and I were standing next to each other, but I was talking to somebody about it, and we both agreed that, you know what, he may have just earned himself a, a free agent spot in the NFL because he ran well, he looked good in the drills, he looked he looked the part of a, of a safety, a promising safety. He ran a 4.59 which is under that, you know, under that, I guess, somewhat magical 4-6 mark that you want your, your safeties to be under. Um, and he did. Yeah, I thought that, I mean, Nick Coleman was a productive college player, even though he is, like, was not a corner. Um, but I felt like once he moved to safety, he he found some success. Should he have played more? Didn't, weren't there times where, where we were like, Houston Griffith is really struggling out there. Is he is he really a better choice than... Than Nick Coleman. By the now, end of the year, he wasn't. I mean, no, he was. The reason I mean, Nick, I, Nick Houston Griffith's time went down and Nick Coleman's went up by the end of the year. Um, but it's, I don't know that. Just the the overall, you look at the guys who went undrafted. I mean, remember Greg Dortch from yeah. the Wake Forest game, undrafted. <laughs> I mean, that guy was running circles around Notre Dame secondary yeah. uh, in September. A guy like that, there's just guy. a lot of really good players who don't get picked. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, back in the day, the, the I mean, the draft was well, it used to be really long, but yeah. I mean, you know, when 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 I was growing up, it was twice as long. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, you you had you had guys getting picked that had no business being picked, right. and maybe it's better this way because free agency. Like, look, I mean, Alex Bars and Sam Mustafer going to the Bears or Harry Easton. The best possible. I, I mean, absolutely destination for absolutely. both those I think, guys. I think Mustafer's still obviously going to struggle, and it won't be easy for Bars. But Bars was definitely trending was playing his best football in the fifth game of the year when he was injured. So good for them. Justin Yoon, I haven't heard anything as of right now about Justin Yoon. I would think that somebody would look at him, but but the distance is a, is a bit of an issue. Um, and so there we are. Uh, yeah. Draft of 2019 in the books. We have more questions on that as well as other topics in segment two coming up. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insiders Segment 2, Burning Up the Boards. Before we jump into questions from readers, uh, Tim, I think just to, to put a bow on 2019 outside of Notre Dame um, by looking ahead to the 2019 schedule in terms of, like, who lost what, um, 
you know, I think that we all sort of watched Rishon Gary, Chase Winovich, Devin Bush, but there <laughs> was that a, was going to happen. There was a lot more than Michigan draft picks to to what, what's coming for Notre Dame. Yeah, as I do every year, uh, it's a talent drain story. Who lost the most? And I'm just gathering all the information. But Georgia had, and, and we're talking about Notre Dame's 2019 opponents. Georgia had seven draft picks. Notre Dame had six. Stanford had five. Michigan had five. Uh, USC had four. USC didn't have a, a, a first or second round draft pick for the first time in forever. Um, but, you know, I, a team, uh, Boston College lost a lot. They had four draft picks. They also had six free agents. They lost a lot of productivity. I found a chart that talked about the, the productivity returning and of Notre Dame's opponents and Notre Dame. Uh, Virginia Tech has the most returning virtually their entire defense, which is not surprising. They really struggled defensively last year uh, in in virtually every aspect. So they've got they've got everybody coming back. Uh, Louisville has a lot coming back. You would hope so because they were god awful last year, and they also have a new defensive coordinator that I'm sure can direct them better than the previous one did. Then comes Virginia, Michigan, still with well the bulk of what they have coming back is offensively. Georgia, no surprise, still has a lot of talent and productivity uh, coming back. And Notre Dame's kind of in the middle of that pack of, of 13 teams. So I just kind of wanted to brush uh, or just touch upon that. And, and for the irishillustrated.com subscribers, you'll be getting a story about the talent drain. So let's start with our first question at EaglesFan36. And this is just a little bit of follow-up on Tavon Coney that Pete has some intel on. I thought it was really strange that Tavon Coney did not participate in the combine, and that appears to have been a mistake. Any insight into his strategy? Any info about poor interviews or background questions? I can't believe a marijuana arrest impacted his draft stock. Yeah, I don't think the marijuana address from or arrest from 2016 had anything to do with it. In terms of his strategy, I, I too, uh, found it a bit odd, and I asked him about it um, the day before Pro Day when I sat down and talked to him. And he said that his his explanation was Cotton Bowl happens, doesn't have an agent picked out, goes to the Senior Bowl, figuring his agent stuff out, and then didn't get out to Arizona. He actually trained at the same place where Jerry Tillery trained, but did not get there until, I want to say, like two, two and a half weeks after Tillery and the rest of those guys showed up. So he just felt like he was late and felt like he needed to have his system, his process, and then he would just put it all on the line at Pro Day. It did not work out. Um, but I don't. I think it would be a mistake to say he was just like made a blind decision on this. This was his strategy. It did not work out, obviously. Um, you know, it, but, I, but I don't think working out at the Combine would have helped him. You know what I mean? Like if he's if he didn't well, feel like he not, was ready, yeah, then you're not you can't peak, do it. Uh, you know, I mean, it's a strategy now, and that was his strategy, and and it it didn't work out. It's it's just like uh, Julian Love, and we'll, we'll we'll have a question on that as well. I mean, I, I you know he, I mean, I don't know what more he can prove on game day in college. You can get better in, on the practice field, like you said, with the Nordham coaching staff. But uh, and and I was the one that I brought up. I mean, I brought up uh, in pro day where I said, you know, for the first time, I wondered whether he should have uh, declared for the draft. And that was because I thought he did poor in the position drills. Mm-hmm. But I still think he should have done, you know, I, I think he made the right decision for him. He dropped in the fourth round. 
again, didn't miss by much. And, and let me follow up with that question from CMU Penns fan. How much does the fall of Julian Love in the draft this year allow Brian Kelly to really drive home the stay-in-school draft grade a guy might get in 2020? I mean, no more than Josh Adams did last year, no more than Troy Nicholas did a few years earlier. Um you know, no, no more than EQ falling to the sixth round did last year. Um, I don't think it makes a difference at all. Um, you know, there's, I, I'm not even sure why Brian Kelly would even attempt to make that argument. Honestly, I don't think he would. I, in this instance, I don't think that he would. And I can, I, I get the question. Um, but Julian Love did everything. What there was, I mean, what more could he prove in game situations? Very little, than, than, nothing. Than what he did. Um, and number one. Number two, guys aren't going to – if a guy has his mind made up and his family have their mind made up about, okay, we're ready to make the jump, Brian Kelly's not going to impact that. I mean, no. some kids he may, but most kids he won't. Uh, they're, their, they're their own boss. They, they have their own judgment and opinion of where they are and their abilities – and a head coach can only do so much. I mean, Julian Love was represented by, or is represented by Drew Rosenhaus, so I don't think there's much that you would lean to think, like, going back to school, let's earn your degree. Okay, yeah. Julian, that's what uh, that's what I would say as an agent. I mean, he his mind was that he wanted to leave. I'm I'm shocked that he ended up with, you know, Drew Rosenhaus as his agent. Yeah, me but, too. But that's just where he, either his mind was or his family's mind was. I'm not really sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there, there's... I think you look back and there's very little that he's any very little indication since he left that you think, oh yeah, maybe he had second thoughts about that. I don't think he had. I don't think he. No, I don't think I, I had second thoughts on pro day. I don't think I don't think he did. I know he came out of pro day feeling good about what he did. Mm-hmm. I didn't think he ran a four four five, but that's what they handheld. They had him at at four four five, which there's a margin of error there. Wash N D. Was it actually better for Alex Bars being able to choose the Bears and Harry Heastan than being drafted late by a different team? I think absolutely. I mean, for, and if you're the Bears, I, f- I mean, I tweeted this out. I, I feel like you're getting a free fifth-round pick, basically. I mean, that's, that's probably where Bars would have gone if he was healthy the whole year. Assuming he makes a full recovery, it's no risk. Um, you know, maybe you can even put him on the, you know, the pup list or, you know, the practice squad for a year, just sort of see. I'm sure get they'll him, do something. Get him all the way back. Lines, yeah. You know, essentially take a redshirt year as a rookie. Um, I think it's a great situation for. Alex I think Bars. it is too. Now I don't. You know, I mean, are there? Could he have signed with somebody else where his opportunity to make the team would be better? Probably. I, again, yeah. I, I don't know exactly where where the Bears are depth chart wise, or where the other NFL teams are. So there could have been a a better situation, but obviously. You know, a Harry Heastan endorsement, I think it probably helps Sam Muster for more than, than anybody because he, he, he needs a little bit yeah. more help uh, to, to land and stay in the, in the NFL. But, yeah, absolutely happy for, uh, happy for Alex Bars and Sam Mustafer and, and certainly a comfort zone working with Harry Heastan. Statman72, Alabama is known for bending over backwards to help NFL scouts evaluate their players, providing them access to game tapes whenever it is most convenient for the scouts, allowing scouts to observe practice and providing scouts unvarnished feedback on players. What is your sense of how much Brian Kelly and his staff cooperate with NFL scouts? I mean, I, I think it's similar. I, I can't say that, you know, they they go further than Alabama does. I don't know for sure. Alabama has a lot more to sell. They've got a lot more prospects. Yeah. It's an inventory question. <laughs> They've got, yeah, they, right. We got to, we got to get, we got to get yeah. rid of some of this inventory. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I I, I think that, uh, I mean, everything I've known in covering Notre Dame for 37 years, uh, they're they're going to help these guys um, draft them. Now, something I wanted to, you know, when it comes to being honest about a player, you know, I, I think there's a perception out there that, well, the coaches will put in a good word, and they will up to a point, but you also have a reputation as a, as a major college football program that you've got to be honest about some kids too. I would flip that around and say you start with being honest and then maybe you'd put in a good word. Like I, that's I, a good way of putting I it. I don't think that the coaches go out of their way to sell anybody to anybody that doesn't deserve to be exactly. sold. Um, like if the, the Poley and Tillery example that we talked about in segment one, if Polian didn't believe that, he would not have I made agree. the effort. And in fact, he probably would have said, Stay away from him um, because he has a relationship with Tom Telesco there. Uh, that's so. I think the the credibility of Notre Dame's coaching staff in the eyes of NFL people is more important than putting in a good word to help, like Absolutely. the whole draft process. Because I mean, look, there are guys on Notre Dame staff who probably would like to coach in the NFL yeah. at some point. If think if somebody thinks. You're, you just BS them the whole time. You're not going to have any credibility when you go to interview for that job. You're not going to put a kid that you don't fully believe in ahead of your credibility as a professional in the industry. Because that, by the way, that will hurt the next time, the next guy on Absolutely. your roster at Notre Dame Absolutely. when a scout comes and says, "Hey, well, you know, what do you think of Julian O'Quara? I love him, <laughs> love him." Well, that's that's what you said about Alize Mack. Yeah. Like that, it just doesn't work that no, way. Good point. Good question, stat man. Uh, at Coffee Dark Roast, in the past 10 years, Notre Dame's tight ends and offensive linemen, along with Alabama's and Clemson's defensive linemen, have emerged as great factories for these position groups. Is this the only reputation of Brian Kelly in that other position players are not being produced? What do general managers think of Brian Kelly? Um, I don't know if there would be a consensus on him. I, I mean, I, I know people in the industry respect him as a, a good, a really good football coach. Developer um, of yeah. Talent, sure. You know, is, does he have a, a reputation for a position the way that LSU has at corner or Alabama and Clemson have at everywhere? I, Not really. Uh, you know, I, I think the offensive line development, it was, had, that was Harry Easton. Yeah, Brian had a lot Kelly. to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, but Notre Dame historically has been a good place for offensive linemen and tight ends. I don't, I don't see why that would change <laughs> tight ends. After, but that doesn't go back to Dave Casper again, in early seventies. What does that have to do with Brian Kelly? Very little. Yeah. It just it has to do with his employer, Notre Dame, where it just seems to attract that kind of talent. Well, you can only be great at so many positions. And again, Alabama and Clemson get <laughs> more. <laughs> yeah, Alabama and Clemson get more flat out raw talent than Notre yeah. Dame does, and so they're more likely. Um, you know, to develop that. Now, Notre Dame, Notre Dame is right in the midst of this defensive end bonanza, which rarely, rarely is ever seen in Notre Dame. So maybe they're trending in that direction. Well, I think uh, Mike, that, and Mike Elston has a ton to do with that. Right. I mean, I think they're trending into having defensive linemen picked regularly in the NFL draft, which is not the same thing as having three first-round picks like Clemson just had. Yeah. You know, it's. I think people need to just hold up on the – Oh, Notre Dame's going to turning into a defensive line factory all of a sudden, like as if Jerry Tillery is the start of a trend. I think it's it's the start of a two year trend. Well, and you know, and then they're going to dip back down because like the the freshman class needs some time to develop, and that's fine. Right. Um, but yeah. I think if Notre Dame is if you're having 
fourth and fifth round picks on the defensive line at Notre Dame. That is a huge improvement is from great. no picks, which is sort of where they have you been. Know, and, and, and at least one or two of those Clemson defensive linemen could have, could have gone in last year's right. draft, but they came back and won a national title in part. I also want to throw in, uh, you know, Miles Boykin, a third-round pick this year. St. Brown, despite a bad year, was a sixth-round pick last year. Uh, Fuller was a first-round pick in 2016. Michael Floyd was a first-round pick in 2012. T.J. Jones is still in the NFL as a six-round draft pick five years ago. Chase Claypool certainly taken next year. Right, so they're doing a pretty good job of developing wide receivers, too. At Burbs Ray, not many running backs taken in the last 10 to 20 years for the Irish. Is Is that common for many of the Blue Bloods, or is Notre Dame struggling in this department? How can this improve? You know, Notre Dame doesn't ever, I mean, they really, you go back to Jerome Bettis. Was he the last first rounder? Julius Jones went in the second round, I believe. Um, About 13 years ago, 15 years ago. Not a lot, not a lot of material. No, now again, the NFL, you know, you don't see a lot of first round draft picks spent on running backs unless it's Saquon Barkley. Um, or guys along those lines, or an Alabama running back who generally go. Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott. But you don't have a, you know, there are less running backs drafted now. It used to be a two position. You used to have two running backs on the field at the same time. You generally don't have that unless it's just a blocker or, or, you know, a a blocking tight end. So uh, how can they improve this? You would think they'd be a little bit better uh, with the offensive lines that they've developed. I think the running back coach that they have now, Gives them a much better chance to land four- and five-star talent. Chris Tyree, you listening, Chris yeah. Tyree? Uh, what are your thoughts yeah, on that? Pete? I think it's a, it's an input question more than anything. Like, they, their input is not good enough. You know, the guy, the raw material that shows up at Notre Dame is not good enough to be – like, it's not like at the end of uh, Adrian Peterson's career at Oklahoma, it's like, great job developing Adrian Peterson, <laughs> guys. Um, you know, and Zeke Elliott was, was not a – five-star guy, but he was way up there, too. I mean, you knew he was going to be good. So, I like, Notre Dame needs to have better input. There's, like, their highest drafted running back, or Brian Kelly, I think I'm right here, C.J. Prosize is a third-round third pick round, who was yeah. a converted safety, who was yeah. a converted receiver who turned into a running back. So, I think that's, you know, in this year's lead running back will be a converted receiver in Jafar Armstrong. Theo Riddick was a sixth-round draft pick uh, a while back now. So was a yeah. running back turned into a receiver, turned yes. into a running back. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think that they've they've signed that high four, five-star running back, obviously, um, to, to really get NFL. I, I do think running back is one of those positions where it's like, Either you get it or you don't. It's like an NBA prospect. Like you sort of know who's going to be really good out of high school do, a lot of times. Do, does Autry Denson get credit for developing Josh Adams? Sure. Yeah. No. I mean, like absolutely. I think Autry Denson was a really good developer of talent that he inherited. I would agree with that. Uh, at Irish underscore GL, who would be the highest rated pro- as we move away from 2019? Who would be the highest rated prospect? For Notre, Notre, for Notre Dame in the 2020 draft. O'Malley put out a story on this, by the I way, on irishillustrate.com. I saw that. Um, Julian O'Quarr, I think, is kind of an obvious number one. And yet, um, I, I need to talk to Dane at The Athletic about his uh, mock draft for 2020 because he had Liam Meikenberg in the first round. When? Today. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think it's just you look at him and you're like, hey, he's an impressive-looking guy. And he went to Notre Dame where the, all the left tackles well, go in the first round. And, may, and maybe he's, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of raw talent there. Maybe he's trending sure. in that direction. I wanted to talk to you. When you mentioned mock draft, 
I was following mock, the mock drafts as many as I could on Thursday, and boy, there's a lot of there's about a, a lot of wrong picks. Yes. Uh, there's just a, there's a, you know I mean the name generally the names were the same, but as far as where they would end up. Well, there's one for 2020 that came out on Sunday that had uh, Justin Herbert, Georgia quarterback, in the first round. You tell me what's wrong with that one. I, I have a guess as to yeah. who might have put that out, but I'm not going to say it publicly because I'm well, not Well, it's interesting because sure. Jake Fromm was also in the first round as a Georgia really? quarterback. So Georgia has two first-round oh, quarterbacks. It's like 1946 when Notre Dame had two first-round picks Notre at quarterback. Is, Notre Dame is in trouble. <laughs> uh, I would say it's Aquara. I You know, I... I Khalid Kareem is certainly trending in that direction as a as a, a as a kind of a two way defensive end, a, a, a pass rusher who's really strong at the point of attack against the run. I, I I mean I think just Troy Pride's raw skills. I think he I think his performance needs to catch up to his raw skills and his abilities. Chase Claypool, you know the world's right in front of him now. Uh, in in 2019, we'll we'll see how he develops. After that. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I think Jalen Elliott has made huge strides. I don't know about Dalen Hayes. Um, Ian Book doesn't fit the dimensions, but if he leaves after this year, he's awfully accurate. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, honestly, I think that Cole Komet leaving after this year is a fifty-fifty proposition. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, I think that's a real strong possibility, especially if he emerges the way that we would we would anticipate yeah. that he's he's capable of. Kaiser Wilhelm, is there a Kyle Hamilton of this cycle, a currently low-rated guy committed or about to commit to the Irish, who will be heralded as a blue chip by January? If so, who? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I don't know why it took so long with Kyle Hamilton. Um, although I guess that I guess he's in he Atlanta, really, it's like hello, he's right there. Yeah, you know, I mean, I guess he's playing in the middle of nowhere. I guess he really started his profile really went up even prior to now, the end of April last year. It was in January and February when we all started watching him. The guy that just comes to mind for me, and he's now jumped up to a twenty four seven Sports composite number one ninety nine pick, mainly because. 24-7 sports picked him as the 27th player in the country now. Okay. And that's Braden McGregor, who I think is fantastic. I think he's a I think he's a five-star guy. And, you know, in terms of importance for Notre Dame, I'd put him right at the top of my list. But some three-star guys that are still rated three-star. Uh, All-purpose back Juton McLean's number 393 composite. I think tight end Cam Large is number 498 composite. Uh, he's better than that. His, his offer sheet includes Notre Dame and... Ohio State, among some others. I can tell you a guy that the staff absolutely loves is William Nixon, the receiver from Waco, Texas. Um, you know, composite, he's 613. I'm sorry, on 24-7, he's 613. Composite, not rated. Um, wow. So I don't know if that means Rivals doesn't have him rated at all or what, but that's a guy that the staff just thinks is phenomenal, uh, and they they really, really would want the class. I'd, th- I'd, I'd throw in... Uh, a player that's already committed from Germany, Alex, uh, Alexander Ehrensberger, who's not rated, but he's six foot seven, and you know, I mean, I get he's he's from Germany. He's not playing against the best competition. We don't know exactly what he's going to be, but at six seven, as agile as long and as agile as he is, he might be a guy that ends up in that category. Uh, B. L. Casper, and what twenty nineteen freshman are you most excited about that hasn't? Gotten to the hasn't arrived at campus yet, so he's not one of the ten early entries. I, we also, 
if you eliminated Kyle Hamilton, this might make for a more interesting. Discussion. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm for the he didn't he didn't say that, but for okay. the purpose of the question, I'm eliminating. Okay, um, <laughs> probably for the best. I'd say the guy, um, hmm. you know, I mean, Kyle Hamilton obviously is number one. I think I'm most interested to see, uh, not that he will have an impact on this year's team, but mm-hmm. um, Kendall Abdur-Rahman, I think I'm most interested to see. I think that's a that's a good pick just because of the sheer athleticism and speed and what you can do with him, the various ways you can use him. I, you know, when I looked at uh, O'Malley and I are about to uh, begin our, what we used to, call, used to call A to Z, I think we're kind of calling it counting down the Irish. Uh, we're about to begin that this week, and I looked at where I had everybody rated among the freshman class, not including the 10 early entries. And highest on my list was Osita Ikwanu. Um Again, I like you, I don't know necessarily no. think he's going to make an impact this year, but I liked his game. Isaiah Foskey, you know, defensive end, the defensive end of the future, along with Osafo Mensa. Maybe I'm most curious about Harrison Leonard. <laughs> and he's not, a, he's not a scholarship player, but I'm interested to see... Um, you know what, how well he can compete for the kicking job, and I've heard some good stuff about KJ Wallace, the the little cornerback who I, I love his game, but he's small. He's that's I can't get past the small. <laughs> I, I get that, I get that, and that's probably why he. I mean, credit to him. He had no, I got a Notre Dame offer. Yes, yeah. I'm committed. He committed very early. Isaiah Rutherford, another guy that they, you know, you need some development yeah. at cornerback. Yeah. Golden by name. Hey, Pete, last week you mentioned that 2009 Jimmy Clausen you would take over 2019 Ian Book. This got me thinking about other past-present options and what you would prefer. Who are you choosing between the following? 2019 Chase Claypool versus 2013 TJ Jones. Let's go one at a time. Okay. How about you answer the uh, Clausen book one first? Well, I thought Jimmy Clausen's 2009 season was about as that's one of the best seasons I've ever I seen mean, a Notre Dame quarterback have. I mean, don't you think if like Chip Long's like, yeah, you can get twenty nine or twenty twenty oh nine Jimmy Clausen, like he would complete like eighty two percent of his passes. I don't think they'd get along. They probably <laughs> wouldn't. But I think eighty eighty two percent completion percentage might, you know, sort of grease the skids for a good relationship there. I don't know. Yeah. Uh no, and he's uh, well, yeah, I mean I, I would Jimmy Clausen, that's one of the greatest seasons I've seen a Notre Dame quarterback have. Adding all of this. It was tremendous. So Claypool Jones uh, and Golden by name throws out some good ones here. Um, TJ Jones, the model of consistency, really took off as a senior. Chase Claypool, not the model of consistency, is in a position to really take off this year. For the, I would give TJ Jones the career vote and Chase Claypool the 2019 vote. I would too. Jafar Armstrong 2019 versus CJ ProSize 2015. Pro size by a wide margin, although so much of that has to do with Stanley, Nelson, Martin, and McGlinchey. And we haven't even seen, I mean, Jafar Armstrong could see, conceivably could have three more years yeah, I think, in a Notre Dame uniform. I think he'll so, have a really nice season. I mean, I think we're all sort of penciling him down for twelve to 1,300 yards from scrimmage, um, which is a huge number. Um but I think ProSize just he benefited from that offensive line so much. Julian O'Quara, 2019, versus Stefan Tua, 2012. This is a good one. Um, Different players, but boy, yeah. really, really good football players. I am gonna, I'm gonna give the vote to Tua here, just based on like the sheer 
dimensions that he brought to the field. I mean, he was really one of the most terrifying players I've covered in 18 years, just the way he was put together. Maybe the face mask had something to do with it. But, like, that sophomore year, Stefan Tuitt was incredible. Um, and I think Julian Acquire is a hell of a player and probably will be drafted higher than Stefan Tuitt was um, coming out of Notre Dame. But, man, the, the motivated, locked-in Stefan Tuitt of 2012, was that was a sight to behold. And then the last one is Will Fuller of 2014-15 versus Golden Tate of 2008 You have no, no Acquire Tuitt opinion? Um, I think it's tough because they're such different type yeah. players. I mean, you didn't think of Tuitt as a pass rusher per se, although he was so good, he, he did provide that. And then he ultimately wasn't in the kind of shape that he, he needed to be, but that came later. Um, what, what, uh, oh, wow. No, it's a tie. I don't know. <laughs> they're so different. It's, it's just very difficult for me to pick that. Fuller, Fuller <laughs> Tate, um... I think I'm going to have to go Tate. Um, you know, even though 20, 2009 was not like a great football season to watch, he, God, but they were so, they're both so much fun to watch. No, I know. Uh, I, I, I want to, um, O'Malley's probably not going to hear this, but I want to know his opinion on this because I, well, I think he'd pick Fuller. I think he would too. But man, that's a tough call. And yeah, I mean, Fuller was a first round pick, Tate was a second round. Yeah. Tate's had a, a, I think Tate will ultimately have a better NFL career based on yeah. you know, what he's done so far and what Fuller has is, is maybe struggled to stay healthy. But that's uh, those guys are both really yeah. good. <laughs> good question, Golden by name. Uh, Indy, Quebec. Brian Kelly has a recent tendency of recruiting quarterbacks quite early in the process, i.e. Tyler Butner, Drew Pine. Is there any reason why he does that? It seems that he's taking quite a risk as opposed to waiting to get a a better idea of the talent available. I'd be surprised if the Clemsons, Alabamas, and other highly successful programs do the same. Thanks for your input. I mean, I think the reason that you do it is because you have to do it. That's that's just where it is. That's you know they got in on Tyler Buckner very early. Um, there were not. I think he was only the second sort of big time quarterback who he, had committed when he committed. He came to Notre Dame and they loved him in camp. He mm-hmm. was very coachable in camp. Uh, I love Tyler Buckner, and I would I would have made that same decision as well. I love Drew Pine, and probably would have made that same decision as well. Remember, Cade McNamara also was a guy that that committed yep. really early in the process, and somewhat similar players, Pine and and McNamara. But you know, the question with Pine is the, is the size, and I get that. Um, there are not. I mean, the reason is there's not a lot of quarterbacks that you like on a year to year basis, and when they go off the board, they're gone. There's not, there's just not, there's nothing you can do about it. That yeah. way. it's like if you're if you're at a fantasy draft and you wait to draft a quarterback and then you end up with, you know, Sam Darnold or something. Like it's just you you can get to a bad spot in a hurry in recruiting with quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, and it's not it's not like a, you know corners where you're signing three or four or right. and, offensive linemen where you might sign six. And every time you get a top rated one, you can expect that you're not going to be be able to get another top rated run one the next year. Yeah, you know, you're Nordame has well, and one of them transfers, and then right. and then where are you? And right? that's that's how Nordame got Ian Book, and thank right. goodness that they did because that three star quarterback is is a more productive college player than the the three star ranking. Um, last question. A little bit of a curveball here, yeah. as usual. Uh, time to fess up. How early in a draft and how many times during it did any of you think to yourself, 
This is pretty pathetic. Folks from all over the country showing up in Nashville, face painted and geared up for their teams to witness the naming of their team's sixth round pick. And worse, millions across the country spending their time watching it on ESPN. Early sign of Armageddon. Am I missing something? At least all of you had the excuse that it's, quote, work. It was it was a little alarming to see how many people were there. Um, I did enjoy, I don't know, did you see the uh, local TV stations report on upset bachelorette parties? Yes. Okay, yes. that was excellent. Um, there was a lot of, I didn't realize that that was the bachelorette capital of it's America. It's been a while since I've attended a bachelorette party, so I, I was unaware. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was... I, I don't get the interest in it at the like I get the interest in it from it's like it's football and it's April and we don't have any football. So we have this. Um, I I find it as a vehicle to watch college football highlights, basically. And like, oh, I saw that guy play or that's interesting. Um, Oh, Daniel Jones. I remember seeing him play in 2016. There he goes. Number six to the Giants. Um, Speaking of which. Duke's only draft pick was Daniel Jones, the sixth overall pick. Um, I yeah, the the interest in the draft I find bizarre for normal people. Um, I can I can, <laughs> I cannot imagine me going to dine and be like, hey, let's like one we don't like any NFL teams, but let's just say we were fans of the Bears, putting on Bears gear <laughs> or like one of those like Rey Mysterio wrestling masks that you see, like the Mexican wrestling mask, and going to stand outside. In the streets of Nashville I don't for three think days. That, I don't think that quite, quite fits the personality of you and your wife. No, no. <laughs> I just, I, and I, like, I watched a lot of it, and at the end, I'm like, damn it, I wasted, like, 12 hours on this. Yeah, and, and yeah, and we, I, I mean, I, Irish Illustrated has to watch it when something breaks. You have to get the news up there and hurry up and write some intro paragraphs and... And throw it on top of what you yeah. already planned in it yeah. in advance. I will say this, and and M. Venturini says, at least our excuse is that it's work. I, none of us put face paint on though, <laughs> for our work day on on uh, on Thursday night and Friday night. I mean, don't you think it's just like it's a vacuum that's being filled by football? We're at, we're at a football free time of the year, and so this is on, so we'll watch it. Well, it's. It is. It's very str- the the whole dressing up in the face paint is is very very strange. I don't. Yeah. I just. I but, do not understand it at all. Hey man, if you want to do it, God bless you. This is America, and you have a right to do it. Where's next year's draft? There. It's definitely gonna. It's definitely going back to Nashville in the future. I don't think it's scheduled for there. One, I'm sure there are uh, people that are Vegas, listening. Then like uh, down the road. Uh, it might I, be. I I no, I think that might be next year. Can ap- you imagine that after the Raiders move there? Yeah. Yeah, I think actually, I think I did hear that. I think it might be Vegas. I'm sure we have listeners that know for sure. We have been, man, we have been podcast heavy for many, many weeks now with a better part of two months. And we're going to pull back a little bit here for a couple weeks. Uh, we anticipate coming back two weeks from today. Uh, obviously, irishillustrator.com is going to delve into its off season work, and that begins with the, the counting down of the Irish, which begins on Wednesday. And uh, we hope that you continue to follow us on irishillustrate.com. We appreciate all of our questions uh, for today. Once again, thank you for, the, for uh, your interest in Irish Illustrated Insider. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.